I didn't come for those who have no perception of a need for me. I came for those who have a deep perception of their need for me. And they're the ones that I'm eating dinner with. Again, verse 14, and he passed by and he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth and he said to him, follow me. Matthew's life changed at that moment. Follow me. And Matthew had to do it. He rose and he followed him. Now verse 15, and as he reclined at table in his house, now the scene just radically changed right there. We go from beside the Sea of Galilee to now they're in a house at a festival, at a feast. So the scene radically changed, and we're in somebody's house for a, for a festival. Now, the way Mark writes it here, it almost sounds like that we are in Jesus's house, and the feast is in Jesus's house. Again, from verse 15, as he reclined, and he is Jesus, as Jesus reclined at table in his house. Doesn't that sound like they're in Jesus's house? But fortunately, we have Luke to clear this up for us, to tell us that no, this is in Levi's house, because Luke chapter 5 and verse 29, uh, Luke makes it clear, and Levi made him, Jesus, a great feast, literally a mega feast. They made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with him. So Luke, thanks to Luke, we're, we're cleared up on that, that this was not Jesus' house, it was the house of Levi, which would have been a large house, because we're told there's a large company of tax collectors there, literally a mega feast with mega people there. And so a large house, large feast. We don't know if it was that night. We don't know if it was a few nights later, maybe weeks later. But at some point, there's this great big party at Levi's house. Maybe it was something that Levi did on a regular basis. Or maybe this was a special occasion. But Levi is taking opportunity to throw this great feast because, you know, the, the greatest opportunity for evangelism is a short time after an adult conversion. You know, that's the greatest time for, for evangelism because the brand new follower of Christ still has all their old friends and all their old friends still want to come over and trust them enough to come over and that sort of thing. So here's the moment in Levi's life where he has this moment, this opportunity, all of his tax collector friends still like him. So he throws this big party and they all come over and Jesus is the guest of honor. So as he reclined at table in his house with many tax collectors and sinners, they were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. So here they are reclining at table. This word that Mark uses for reclining is the same word that he used in chapter one to describe Peter's mother-in-law who was sick in bed. So this is prone, this is prostrate, this is, this is lying down, reclining at table. And so what that tells us is that this wasn't just a meal for the sake of eating. This was a long, drawn-out, sort of engaged affair, a long type of meal, a meal for enjoyment, a meal with multiple courses, that sort of thing. So they're reclining a table. What would happen in this culture when they wanted to eat a meal in such a way as that? Then they, they would have this short table, and around the table they would have cushions. And they would all rest on their right elbow with their face toward the table and their feet away from the table. And that's how they would recline at table and eat the meal. That's what they considered to be the most comfortable way to eat a meal. Now, quite honestly, 
I can't possibly think of a more uncomfortable way to eat a meal than laying, leaning on an elbow with my feet sticking out from the table. I mean, that just is, seems to me just incredibly awkward. But in this culture, that's what was considered to be very comfortable. So they're reclining at table. This is this long sort of drawn out meal. And the house is full of what we're told is tax collectors and sinners. So tax collectors, we talked about them. Sinners, if you're reading in NIV, then, or maybe another translation, you will notice that sinners is in quotation marks. It's not because it's a different sort of word there. It's the typical word for sinner, which comes from the typical word for sin, hamartia. But it's in quotation marks in the NIV and some others because the word is being used in an unusual sense. It's being used not as a moral statement or an ethical statement. It's being used as a social statement. So when these who are reclining at table with Jesus, they're called sinners, it's not making a statement so much about their morality or their lack of it as so much their status in life, their place in life. Because what was known of as the sinners by the Pharisees were those who, due to their occupation or their life or just their lack of funds or resources, they were unable to pursue the following of the law like the Pharisees. Maybe they had to work on a lot of Sabbaths. Maybe they were ritually unclean because of their work. Maybe they worked with uh, animals or livestock or, or they were a tanner or a taxidermist or something like that. And so they were rendered sometimes unclean. They were like shepherds. They were, they were known of as sinners, not so much because they were immoral, but because their work or their life would not let them follow the law as, rig as rig rigorously as the Pharisees. So they were called sinners. So Jesus here is reclining at table and eating with these tax collectors and sinners. And make no mistake about this, because this is easy to be lost on us. Make no mistake about the fact that Jesus is encountering these tax collectors and sinners within a context that shows a very intimate connection, which shows a very significant connection. Because in this culture, in Jesus's culture, to share a meal with someone was significant and intimate. We don't always understand that today because we can share meals with people that we don't necessarily like. You can go eat lunch with your boss. No big deal. You can go eat lunch with coworkers that you don't particularly like or whatever. Not a big deal, right? Some of you are nodding your heads. But in this culture, it was very different. To share a meal with people, particularly this kind of meal, was very significant and it showed an intimacy between them. And so herein lies the whole problem of the passage. Jesus isn't just talking to the Samaritan woman at the well. Jesus is engaged in a significant and an intimate fellowship with tax collectors and what's known of as sinners. So we're reminded of the passage in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, where we are told this, Jesus says not, not to lost people, Jesus isn't knocking at the door of, the, of lost people's hearts. But in Revelation 3, verse 20, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock of my church. I, I stand at my church's door and knock. My, my wayward church, the church that has been disfellowshipped, the church that is out of fellowship with me, Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and in the King James language, sup with him or dine with him or eat with him. So you see the significance there that Jesus says, we are out of fellowship with one another. You are my wayward church. You are the church that has forsaken me 
but I stand at the door of your church and knock. And if you will turn and you will open the door, then I will come in and there will be this fellowship again. So you see there the significance of sitting down to table in this culture. It was a significant thing. And so Jesus is here eating with these tax collectors, these sinners, and this appears to be something that that this incident either began a reputation for him or perhaps Jesus did this more than once because Jesus definitely develops a reputation for eating with people such as this. Take a look with me in Matthew chapter 11, verse 19. Here we read that the Son of Man, this is the incident in which Jesus says, you know, the, John the baptizer, he was this ascetic. He lived out in the desert. He ate grasshoppers and honey. And y'all called him, you know, y'all had nothing to do with him either. But then the Son of Man comes and the Son of Man, Jesus says, comes eating and drinking. And look at what they say about me. Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So Jesus seems to have developed this reputation of sharing table with tax collectors and sinners so much so that people started to call him a lush. He's a drunkard. He's eating with tax collectors and sinners, seems like all all the time. Luke chapter 15, verses one and two. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So Jesus here seems to have developed this, this reputation. He seems to be known of as someone who will willingly and perhaps regularly eat and share table with tax collectors and sinners of the sort. And so here we're told of of just something about Jesus's heart. Whereas other people in this culture would look away from the tax collector, would look away from those of that type of a moral class or social class, Jesus, instead of looking away, he looked to them. Remember, of course, the story that we're told in Luke chapter 18, Jesus tells the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee that go into the temple courtyard to pray. And the Pharisee says, Lord, I just thank you that I'm not like that guy over there. I don't even want to look at him. I just thank you that I'm not like him. Whereas Jesus will say to us in Luke 19, verse 10, the son of man came to seek and to save sinners. Or there's another tax collector in scripture. We remember his name. He was even more hated than Matthew. He was Zacchaeus. And and to Zacchaeus, Jesus says, I must go to your house. Jesus not only received these tax collectors, he sought them out, whereas everyone else sought to avoid them or to be far from them. So here we read once again from verse 15, and he reclined at table in his house, in Levi's house, with many tax collectors and sinners, and they were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Now verse 16, and the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, So that doesn't mean that they were there sharing the same meal with them. It just means perhaps they heard about it or perhaps they saw Jesus going into this house of the well-known Levi tax collector. When they heard of it, they said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? So there we see once again the same pattern where these objections are raised against Jesus. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And notice they go to the disciples and not to Jesus. Why did they go to the disciples and not to Jesus? We're not told. But there's three possible reasons that I can see. First of all, perhaps they went to the disciples and not to Jesus because they were intimidated by Jesus. Perhaps they had heard his authoritative teaching. Perhaps they had heard just the words that come out of his mouth. And perhaps they're intimidated now. And, and so they, they know that they can't match wits 
with Jesus, so maybe they go to the disciples instead. Or maybe they've seen the miracles and they're intimidated by Jesus. That's, po- that's possible. Or perhaps it's because of the crowds. Remember the, the story the paralytic tells us that people were having a hard time getting to Jesus now. So maybe they can't get to Jesus because the crowds, and so they instead go to the disciples. There's not the same crowds around the disciples. Maybe they go to the, the disciples instead. Or perhaps, and this is probably, probably the most likely, is perhaps they go to the disciples because at this point, they see the disciples as probably more willing to listen than Jesus. Like maybe Jesus is so far gone, what's the point of even talking to him anymore? Maybe, maybe his disciples still have some sense. We'll talk to them. Maybe that or maybe a combination. But in any case, they go to the disciples and they say, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And if I was them, I would have said, why don't you ask him? Verse 17, and when Jesus heard it, so maybe he overheard it or maybe he knew their thoughts or maybe the disciples came and told him. But when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So here we have Jesus' answer. Those who are well have no need of a a physician. Physicians don't go to well people. They go to sick people. Who of the Pharisees would say, no, Jesus, that's wrong. Everybody would agree. Well, yeah, of course. Physicians go to sick people. Not even the Pharisees would say, that's crazy, Jesus. Whoever's heard, whoever heard of a physician going to sick people? Oh, they would as well say, well, yeah, we have to agree with that. Yeah, physicians do go to sick people. So you see the connection Jesus is making. He's making the connection between a physician and a sick person and himself and a sinner or tax collector. So physicians go to sick people. I'm here as a physician and I came not to call the righteous, but to but sinners. So here we have sort of the follow-up to the the story of the paralytic. In the story of the paralytic, the point of that story was the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins. In this story, what we see is, now that we know that Jesus has the authority to forgive, now we're told who it is that Jesus will forgive. So we're told He has the authority to forgive in the paralytics, in the home where the paralytic is there. Here we're told who it is that the Son of Man will forgive, and the one He will forgive is not the righteous, but the sinner. And so that's sort of a play on words, sort of a tongue-in-cheek way of Jesus saying, we could even substitute self-righteous. I didn't come for the self-righteous. I didn't come for those who have no awareness of their need for forgiveness. I came for the sinner. That's Jesus' meaning here. So what He's saying is, that the one to which he came, the one to whom he will forgive his forgiveness is only for those who are aware of their sinfulness. The ones who have sort of this moral awareness, this one, the ones who have a spiritual awareness of their need for redemption, of their need for forgiveness. Jesus says, those are the ones that I came to. So it's kind of like, you know, the, to use Jesus' analogy of the physician coming to the sick person. It's sort of like if you could imagine maybe you've got some sort of illness going on, maybe something going on with your heart. And you've been to a couple of cardiologists and they can't figure it out. But there's this one cardiologist who is the most brilliant cardiologist in the nation. But he lives in another part of the country and being so brilliant, of course, he's booked up for two years in advance. 
So you can't go see him, but he's the most brilliant cardiologist in the nation. But somehow you have a friend who knows somebody that just happens to be able to get you an appointment with this particular cardiologist. So they arrange this appointment and the cardiologist who lives three states away actually flies here to see you because you've got this appointment on a certain day and he flies, he drops what he's doing and he flies here and you sit down in this office with him and he sits down in front of you and says, now tell me what your symptoms are. And you say to him, well, doc, I don't have any. I feel great. Nothing wrong with my ticker. To which he says, you fool. Why did I come here? Because I came for a sick person. So you see the connection Jesus is making. I'm here for sick people. Now, the person who has the problem with the heart still has that problem. But unless they're willing to tell the cardiologist, this is my problem, this is what I'm experiencing. He can't do anything until the person says, yes, I'm sick. This is, this is like the leper. Remember two weeks ago we talked about the leper and how the leper could not come to Jesus and say, if you're willing, you can cleanse me from this really bad case of dry skin. I'm not a leper, Jesus. So don't, don't think I'm a leper, but I just got some really bad skin things going on. There's some really bad dry skin. What if you could help me with that? To which Jesus would say, no, I can't. I can cleanse lepers but I can't cleanse lepers who deny that they're lepers. In the same way, Jesus is saying the same thing here. I didn't come for those who have no perception of a need for me. I came for those who have a deep perception of their need for me. And they're the ones that I'm eating dinner with. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So this moral self-awareness is what's required for Jesus to do his healing work of the soul. And what's interesting is even that moral awareness, that spiritual awareness, even that is God's work. John 16 and verse 8 tells us it is the Spirit's work to convict of sin. So even that moral awareness of our need, even that comes from God. So salvation is all of God. But let's not misunderstand Jesus' meaning here. What Jesus is not saying is that you have to be this outcast, lowly sort of social pariah person in order for me to call you unto myself. Jesus is not saying, I only came for the lowly and for the outcasts. We know this because there were many who became followers of Jesus who weren't social outcasts. Take a look with me in your handout, Acts chapter 17 and verse 12. Many of them therefore believed with not only a few Greek women of high standing or John 11 verse 45, many of the Jews therefore believed in him. Acts 18 and verse 8, Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord. Acts 6 and verse 7, a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And let us not, of course, forget Nicodemus or Joseph of Arimathea, or Lydia, the seller of purple goods in Philippi. And so the scriptures tell us that Jesus didn't just come for lowly social outcast people. Jesus came for people who know of their need for him, who have this spiritual, moral 
awareness of their deep need from, for God. And so Jesus said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners.